This morning we're going to read from the book of 2 Samuel and chapter 5. And if you have a pew Bible, uh, or if you see a pew Bible near you, you'll find that on page 308 this morning. So 2 Samuel chapter 5. As we continue our series, Nigel's going to preach on this a little bit later. So 2 Samuel chapter 5. And we're going to read this chapter. This is God's word to us this morning. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. And in the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. And when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they appointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over Israel and Judah 33 years. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. And the Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David can't get into here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. And on that day, David said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say, the blind and the lame will not enter the palace. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward. And he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Now Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons. And they built a palace for David. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And after he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem and more sons and daughters who were born to him. And these are the name of, names of the children that were born to him there. Shamua, Sobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ebhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Jephiah, Elishama, Aliada, and Eliphalet. And when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephah. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal, Perezim, and there he defeated them. And he said, As waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me, so that the place was called Baal, Perezim. And the Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men, David and his men carried them off. And once more the Philistines came up, and spread out in the valley of Rephah. 
So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up to the circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. And as soon as you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the balsam trees, move quickly, because that will mean that the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way to Gibeon, to Gezer. Amen. And we thank God for the reading of his word. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel 5, this passage that we read earlier. It's page 308 of the Pew Bibles. There is no doubt that we are living through the most politically remarkable times. Every week seems to bring new intrigue. I imagine if the pundits are anything to go by, that the week ahead will be the same. I heard somebody said recently that they have watched very little Sky Sports and lots more of the BBC Parliament channel over the last couple of weeks. And... I could sort of understand that. And I suppose we might think there's a degree of inevitability to that. To to move from one political transition or move through one political situation to another is seldom smooth. And, And certainly it was not smooth whenever we see the great transition that there was between the leadership of Saul and the leadership of David, that story that we were reading earlier on. You remember we've been saying a little bit about what these books of First and Second Samuel tell us about, particularly about the introduction of the, the first two kings in the story of God's people. Saul, first of all, who started off well and then his uh, career declines terribly as he shows himself to be really a bit of a stranger to God's grace. Uh, and as Saul is declining, David is on the rise. He was earmarked out to be king long before Saul disappeared off the scene. He's been patiently waiting, waiting in, the, in the wings ever since. Saul has been hunting him and, and wanting him dead. David had opportunity to, to kill Saul, doesn't do it, trusts God rather than take matters into his own hands. And the book of 2 Samuel that we've stepped into starts when Saul has died. But that doesn't mean that everything has been plain sailing for David. His own tribe makes him their king in chapter 2 of 2 Kings, the own tribe of Judah. But the other tribes don't come under his rule. There's a sort of a a seven-year civil war that rumbles on, particularly led by the two generals of the two groups, the house of Saul, the house of David, Joab and Abner. And over those seven years, the house of David becomes stronger and the house of Saul continues to weaken. During that time, David is generous largely towards the house of Saul. He tries to build consensus and so on. And eventually, we get to chapter 5, where we are this morning, and David is united, is anointed as king over a united kingdom. All the Israelites come together. And he rules for 33 years. And and those are are really seen as the the golden years of the people of God. David is king. He's a man after God's own heart. He he largely does what God wants, although there are some bumps along the way, as we will see. Now, you might remember that we've said in lots of ways, King David 
is a, a sort of a, an echo, a pre-echo of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is David's greater son. And there are times that that picture is clearer than others. And, and this point where David is anointed as king is, is particularly one of those times when he points to Jesus really pretty clearly. And so, so remember that Jesus is the ultimate story of the whole Bible. He is, every story whispers his name, as we sometimes say. And so we're going to see this morning ways in which this story of Jesus, or this story of David, points us to God's chosen king, the Lord Jesus. Four simple things to say this morning. First of all, God's chosen king is to be submitted to. He's to be submitted to. The chapter opens with a good development. Chapter 5, verse 1. All the tribes of Israel came to David and Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall become their ruler. So all the people, the people of the whole land, come together, pledge allegiance to David. The civil war is over. Unified kingdom is established. It can go forward. This is great news. But, but notice carefully what the people say. Now, these are people who've been fighting against David more or less energetically over seven years. They've been allied with Saul's house. And yet they, they say... Basically, we knew that you were the real king all the way through. And, and they should have, of course, because when David stepped onto the scene, on, when David slew Goliath, it was clear he was to be a future leader of God's people. And they recognized that while Saul was king and David was leading the army, he, he was the one who was really winning the battles and so on. They recognized that the promise of a shepherd for the land was really a promise about, about David. So they're saying, we knew you were the real king all along, but it's taken us seven years to get there. Does this ring any bells for us? Some of you, some of us, some of us have come to Christ later in life. And when that happens, we often say, some of you said this to me, I wish I'd done this sooner. And some of us also say, you know, I sort of knew that I had to come to Jesus. I knew that he was my king. It's just taken me a while to get there. This is true to the experience of many of us, isn't it? It's true to what the Bible tells us we're like as people, doesn't it? It tells us that we tend, left to ourselves, we tend to suppress the truth about God. We sort of hold it under the surface. So, so we might bluster with our friends and say, oh, you know, we don't need that. Uh, too much religion's a bit dangerous. I'll tip my hat to it now and again. But, but deep down, we are sort of smothering something in us that is saying, I know this is true. Jesus is king. He's the real king that I need. These people fought against God's rightful king even though they knew him to be king. We do too sometimes. And then they come to him and how does he treat them? Well, David treats them with great patience and grace. Not with any recrimination. He brings them in. He builds a people. He, he welcomes them. 
could be the situation that some of us are sort of in that position today. We, we, we know that Jesus is the king that we need. We, we know that he's the one that we should submit to. And yet we've never really admitted it to anyone. We hardly really admit it to ourselves. What should we do? Well, we should come to God's chosen king, the one that we know to be king. And and we shouldn't come sometime this week. We, We shouldn't even come when we go home. We should come now. We should say, Lord, I know that the Lord Jesus is my rightful king. I've known it for years, but I'm admitting you, I'm admitting it now. And you know what? As we do that, even though you've fought against him, he will receive you as his friend. He's great like that. We ought to submit to God's king. Second thing we see here about David and about Jesus is that God's king has enemies. This chapter is just full of stories about David's enemies, not now from within God's people, but from those outside. We read in verse 6 and following about Jerusalem. God's people were in the promised land. They'd been there for quite some time. But there were pockets of the old Canaanite peoples who were pagan peoples that had never been dealt with. God's intention had been that they would be wiped out because they were particularly evil. And there had been a pagan colony in this city of Jerusalem, the Jebusites. They had been a real thorn in the flesh to God's people. But Jerusalem was a a very well-fortified city, had great natural defenses and and built-up defenses, and it had never been conquered And strategically, it was a really good move for David to have that city because it didn't belong to anybody, as it were, apart from the Jebusites, obviously, but it didn't belong to any of the the, the tribes. So he could start again with a newly unified capital in a newly unified country. Trouble, of course, was the Jebusites weren't ready to hand it over. And so whenever David came to attack they confidently taunted him. You will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. So you can see what they were saying. We, we, can, we can defend this city with our hospital population. You can't do a thing about it. Well, David does take Jerusalem. A soldiers climb up the water shaft. They take it that way. Where stories told in Chronicles. David goes to the gate and Joab, his general, takes a sort of crack commando squad and climbs up a, a water tunnel and opens the gate and David takes the city. So, so the Jebusites, you see, who mock God's king... Well, they're no match for God's king. Later on, we read about the Philistines. We've heard of them before. Goliath was a Philistine. David spent some time living amongst them in their bad old days. But, but, But they heard that David was leading a newly unified kingdom, and they wanted to nip that in the bud. Don't forget, just over seven years earlier, they had defeated many of God's people under the leadership of Saul. They'd killed Saul and his sons. They saw no reason why they shouldn't do that again. And look at what David does. He seeks the Lord. He's a great commander. He's a brilliant soldier. He's fresh from victory against the Jebusites. And yet here he is small before the Lord. He's looking to God to guide him. 
David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? Now there's the mark of a great leader, the mark of a great king, isn't it? One who knows that he's really not the boss. He's just working for the boss. What shall I do, Lord? Is that the heartbeat of your life? Do you know that you're not the boss of you? David knew that. At least he knew that here. God says, go up against them. Full frontal attack. And David secures a great victory. And then they come again. Verse 22. Once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. Same place. Same situation. Wouldn't it be tempting just to say, I've done this before. Same tactics. No, no, he doesn't. Again, he seeks the Lord. And this time, verse 23, God answers, do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. Strange command. We don't really know what this is about. Does it mean that, that as they hear the sound of marching in the trees, is this, as they hear the wind blow, that's God's time for them to move forward? Is it some sort of particular miracle? We're not really sure. But in any case, God fights for them. He goes ahead of them. And another great victory is won. And what's the point of this? Well, even though God's chosen king, David here, even though he enjoys unified rule over unified people, even though he has the blessing of God resting upon him, it does not mean that he is at peace with the world. There are those who oppose him. Some oppose him by mockery. Some, some show that opposition by open hostility. And we see that today in our world, you know, 3,000 years later, don't we? Jesus and his followers are mocked and opposed. This is true for so many Christians in our world today. Do you know that the vast majority of believers who will gather to worship today will gather having had the experience this week of mockery or opposition. God's king faces opposition. So don't be surprised if you take up a position next to him and you face that too. God's king has enemies. God's king enjoys, third thing, the service of the nations. This is, is uh, maybe a little bit awkward as far as the title is concerned. God's king is served. Just something to notice sort of briefly here. Verse 10, and he, David, became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Now, that's odd, isn't it? Uh, so here we are in the midst of all this opposition from those around David, Philistines and Jebusites and so on. A neighboring king, Hiram from Tyre, that's up sort of Lebanon area, he, he hears about David and he sends him gifts. Forests of Lebanon are in his area. You think of those massive cedars, finest building materials and finest craftsmen in the world at that time. And he voluntarily just says, David, I'm going to build you a palace. Now, now this is a theme. This is one of those little echoes that points us to Jesus. The, the nations, you see, will praise the Lord Jesus. We read Psalm 2 at the beginning of our service. 
Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. An invitation to serve God's king. Isaiah 60, verse 2 and 3. For behold, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. You see, it's saying, as Jesus becomes clear, the kings of the earth, some of them will serve him. You see, all around there is opposition, but some of the kings of the earth will come to him and say as if to say, here's the best of what I've got. Use it. It happens on a great scale with the Lord Jesus. Some of us here today we're under pressure. We've known that as a congregation, haven't we? Lots of us in different ways really under pressure at the moment because of some of our circumstances and things that we're going through. Some of us are here today and we're thinking, can Jesus help me with the thing that I'm facing? Is he able? Well, what do we see here? Listen, he is the one before whom the kings of the nations will bow. There's nothing small about him. He is able, you can trust him. Kings will serve him. So, God's kings to be submitted to. God's king is opposed. God's king is served. One last thing just to make clear, and that is, we've been looking at David, we've been pointing to Jesus. David is not the king that we need. David is not the king that we need, nor is any human king. You see, David points to the Savior, but he's not the Savior. Ultimately, David is a really flawed man. He, he, we need better than the best of us to rescue us. There's a great sort of biblical principle. If our answer could come from humanity alone, then it would have come from humanity alone. But it doesn't. It can't. The best of us on our best day cannot make the grade. We cannot save ourselves, nor can we save anyone else. And there's a hint of that here, a little minor note in the midst of that story. After he left Hebron, David took, sorry, this is verse 13, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the names of the children born to him there. John read those so well that I'll not have to read them again. Um, well, Shamuah and all his, all his friends. Now, now, that was the way that, that, that kings consolidated power in those days. They married into powerful families. The, the size of their harem uh, said something about their status. And in this area, David was just being like every other king. But, but this was specifically what God had said should not happen. Deuteronomy 17 and 17 talks about the king. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Kings were to have a wife like everybody else, be faithful to her, just like God is faithful to us. But David ignores that. Here's a little area of his life where it's just convenient to ignore what God has said. A little area of his life where he lives not by the standards of the word, but by the standards of the world. 
a little area of his life where he says, this doesn't matter. I'll indulge myself here. It's interesting, isn't it? God does not immediately send a prophet to condemn him. Or even the Bible, as it describes it, doesn't condemn him here. Does that mean that God doesn't care? Not at all. But sometimes God allows sin to grow so that its ugly fruits might be seen. And as this grows, we will see that it becomes an area of weakness and pain and disaster for David. His future family is an absolute mess. He, he reaps the consequences of these bad and selfish and ungodly decisions. Don't we see ourselves here? Have you ever said that about something in your life? Oh, this little area doesn't really matter. Everything else is going pretty well. Everything else is, is, is upright and, and bears up to scrutiny, but, but this little area, well, doesn't matter. I can handle it. Don't we see ourselves in David? And, and really what we're saying is David is just like us. He's, he's sinful, he's broken, he needs rescued. So he's not the savior we need. He's not the ultimate king that we need. Because only Jesus does that for us. He's the only one qualified to be your savior and mine. So if he is, if Jesus is this, the question is, is he your savior? And is he your king? Are you saying, Lord, you be the boss of me. You rule me. You reign me. I, I'm going to go your way. I'm going to build my life on your foundations, on what you say. I'm going to love what you love and hate what you hate. I'm going I'm to bow to you in, in all the little areas of my life. That's what it means. He comes first. He demands are all. And he's good. So let's follow him. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for King Jesus, the one who is perfect, the one who is the rescuer, the one before whom we should bow and serve and gladly follow Help us to do just that, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.